I've been asked several times, even last night, twice this week, people will ask me, what is the difference between coaching and pastoring? I mean, people are fascinated by that. I think there's some parallels and some things that people like to ask me. But immediately what comes to mind is this. The goal in football, particularly pro football, is crystal clear. Whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're an owner, whether you're on the staff, even hardcore fans and nominal fans, even the media understands the goal is to win championships. And it's championship time. If you're living in Los Angeles, it is definitely championship time. You know exactly what I mean. And really, the goal in pro football is to win a Super Bowl. 30-some-odd teams are at home right now disappointed. They want to be where these two final teams are at right now. And I just think this, as I share this with people who willingly want to ask me that question, I say, that is very clear. Everyone in football is straining, pursuing, fighting for this goal. And then, then I go on to my new life as a pastor. I said, but as crystal clear as it may be in football, I think the goal of the church is a bit murky. If I were to ask you, church, what is the goal of the church? What comes to mind right now? What comes to mind? Why are we a local church? Colossians 1.28, Pastor Michael read Paul's philosophy of ministry. He says, present every man complete or mature in Christ. Galatians 4.19, Paul also gives his philosophy of ministry. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I believe Ephesians 5.25-27 gives a very clear goal of what Christ wants for his church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, the church, so that he, Christ, might sanctify her, make her more holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he, Christ, might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she will be holy and blameless. So there's some terms there, sanctified, that means set apart, spiritually mature, to become more holy. But at Evergreen, the terms that we like to use is to become more like Christ. I mean, it's in our discipleship definition. Discipleship is defined as committing. If you're a guest, you're listening up. Discipleship is defined as committing to intentional relationships that build what? Church. Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. That is the goal of the local church. And today, we're going to talk about that. But I believe what's important is to have the right mindset. This is why we're preaching on the Christian mindset. Today, I like uh, watching documentaries and listening to podcasts with my children, studying great champions and great performers, when I was a youth, you know, maybe in junior high, I liked to read books, read magazine and newspaper articles, listen to interviews, whatever I could get a hold on to study people like Magic Johnson, Joe Montana, Wayne Gretzky. These were the great champions of my day growing up. 
And in my USC coaching days, I came across a giant of a champion in the sports world, that is, John Wooden. John Wooden. I mean, he kind of figured it out. He won 10 national championships in his last 11 years of coaching. That's incredible. Incredible. He figured it out how to win. And I think I read about nine books about him. I even providentially was able to become friends with him. And I'd visit, visit him in his home. He was in his mid-90s. I was probably in my late 20s. What, and I'd stay at his place till maybe 11 o'clock at night. What in the world? What does a 95-year-old and a 28-year-old have to have in common? Well, it was more than being a fan or admirer, although I did admire him. I wanted a glimpse into his mind, right? I wanted to know what made him tick, what motivated him. How did he handle success? How did he handle setbacks? This is what I wanted to know. And our culture is absolutely fixated on the external. I mean, we like to look at the body, how fast, how big, how strong, all those things we like to look at. Important things. However, what happens between the ears? What happens between the ears is the greatest predictor of success. Because how we think, how we think, shapes our attitudes leads us to how we speak and act, develops our priorities, and in essence, forms our hearts. This is who we are. How we think is who we really are. So today, we're going to peek into the mind of a spiritual giant. We get a privilege of getting x-ray vision look into the mind of Paul. And Paul opens up his mind for us, and this is a very critical church family that we understand how these spiritual giants thought. What was their mindset like? so that we could reproduce that. This is basically putting on the mind of Christ, and we need to understand this if we're going to maximize our Christ-likeness. So as we always do here at Evergreen Church, we turn to God's Word, and we'll be at Philippians chapter 3. So I hope you have your Bibles or your devices to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. I'll be reading from 7 to 16, and I'll be reading on the NASB. Just like Colossians, as you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. Paul is writing from house arrest. And he's writing a letter to a church that he had a huge hand in, church planning, the Philippian church. And he loved the church, and he was looking to edify them. Okay, so let's rise as we honor God and his word, as we read Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 16. God's word says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the powers of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've obtained it or, or have already become perfect, but I press on, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I now regard myself of having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We love you. Help us to love you more. I pray, Lord, that you will be honored, the saints will be edified, and the lost will be saved today. Thank you, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. If you're a note taker, um, I'm, I hope you take notes, but we're just simply going to answer one question today. We're just going to answer one simple question. What does the Christian mindset look like? Let me ask that again. What does a Christian mindset look like? And so that we could follow along a little bit easier, I'll give you the four points ahead of time. Of course, I'll continue to hit upon these points throughout the sermon. Number one, the Christian mindset is secure in Christ. The Christian mindset, number two, is spiritually dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. The, number three, the Christian mindset is singularly focused. One focus, singularly focused. And finally, the Christian mindset is shared with one another. Shared with one another. So what does a Christian mindset look like? Point number one, the Christian mindset is secure in Christ. It always starts with Christ. This is where, as Christians, it begins with Christ and ends with Christ. It's all about Christ. In verse 7 and 8, Paul uses this word counted three times. I have counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord. And count them but rubbish. Count so that I may gain Christ. Paul was thoughtfully calculated. He thought through this. What's more important? What is the greatest treasure in my life? I have counted as loss. Instead of being a prophet, the things that he used to profit from, now he counts them as loss. And what is Paul talking about? Well, Paul, prior to becoming a Christian, this is the great apostle Paul, the spiritual giant that we're going to study today, Paul owned an NFL religious mindset. Paul's insecure. He said, Pastor, what are you talking about? Are you stuck in both worlds right now? What do you mean NFL religion? What is that? In the 90s, early 90s, I believe, uh, a, a coach famously once said from the NFL, NFL stands for not for long, okay? Tom Brady, who just retired from 22 years of playing pro football, is an outlier. He's a freak. He doesn't count. No one plays that long. The average playing career in the National Football League is three years, roughly. Three years. If you even make the team, right? Three years. That's quite an accomplishment if you could play that level for three years. And everyone understands this. This is there's a sense of urgency. This is a long time that I get to be at this place. And it's completely a performance-based existence. What have you done lately? You're only as good as your last game. Sometimes you're only as good as your last practice. Contracts are year-to-year, game-to-game, week-to-week, sometimes day-to-day. And you have to keep producing to stay there. Otherwise, you get cut. 
It's a wonderful existence, but it's an insecure existence. I mean, everyone's on their, is on their toes constantly. And this is how Paul once lived. This is exactly describes how he once lived. He had, this was his old mindset. Let's back up to verse 4 and 6 here of the same chapter of Philippians. He writes, although I, might, I, might, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, human achievement, what he does in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in, in the flesh, I far more. He goes, my resume, my credentials are greater than anybody else. I've accomplished more than anybody else. I'm part, I have the right lineage. Verse 5 talks about his um, ethnic identity circumcised the eighth day. That's what Jews did. Of the nation of Israel, of God's chosen people, he was an Israelite. Of the tribe of Benjamin, not only was he an Israelite, he came from one of the two most prestigious tribes. Two tribes that didn't defect from the, from the Davidic kingdom. A Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning culturally he was perfectly Jewish. Although he lived in the Gentile region, he could speak the language. He, he knew the walk of a Hebrew. He lived like a Hebrew. And the next portion talks about his performance-based identity. It's the law of Pharisee. I mean, he was an expert at the law. He, under, he had a lot of head knowledge for the law. Not only that, he had a strong enough reputation to join the religious elite, the Pharisees. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Not only was he part of the, uh, the Pharisaic group, he set the tone. Let's go after these Christians. Let's go after these threats to Judaism. He set the tone, church family. And as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Meaning, he saw himself right before God by how he is able to keep the rules. This is an NFL religious mindset. Because it was moment by moment, moment by moment. He did not have a lifetime contract. As soon as he slipped up in sin, that's it. But he prided himself. He was a legalist. He was a legalist uh, in his own performance. And basically, the faith that he had was in himself. However, Paul would meet Christ, as we know, by God's loving grace. And he had a mind shift. Let's go to verse 9 here. It says this in verse 9. And may be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. See, verse 9 is very clear. The Lord chronicles two types of religions. There's only two types of religions on this planet. Varieties of, are different, but there's only two types. The religion of human achievement. And this is exactly what Paul describes at the top of verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, keeping the rules, maintaining a certain level of religiosity, is where he once found his righteousness, meaning right standing before God. The religion of human achievement. I mean, I've talked to my Islamic friends. I love them. I love my people who are for, for who are my Islamic friends. They said it all depends on how, how you're able to maintain the five pillars of Allah or Islam. Some of those things is do, do you pray five times a day facing Mecca? Have you taken your Hajj or your pilgrimage to Mecca? 
Have you, do you fast during Ramadan? Do you give to the poor? I mean, these are the things that tips the scale. Are you in heaven or are you out of heaven? It's all about human achievement. Or perhaps you're a Buddhist and you come from a Buddhist background. Are you living according to the teachings of Buddha? Are you able to do that? Or perhaps, as we know from our humanistic background, perhaps is this your own standard of morality that you're counting on? I'm a good person. This is the religion of human achievement. That's exactly what Paul describes out of verse 9 at the top. And now at the second portion of verse 9, now the religion of divine achievement. Remember, church family, every other religion on the face of this planet is the religion of human achievement. Christianity is the one unique religion of divine achievement, what God has done. Not what I've done, not what you have done, but what has God done? Let's read verse 9. But, thank God for the buts in the, church, in the Bible here, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness that is found through faith in Christ. Where is this righteousness from? The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. This righteousness comes from God, the divine one. And Paul was saying he was righteous because he has faith in Christ. Paul now rested securely in Christ from an insecure NFL type of religion to now be resting in the arms of Christ, secure. In other words, he was totally dependent upon who Jesus was, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is going to do according to his promises. Who's Christ? Well, Christ is God, the creator of all things. All creatures of our God and King, Jesus Christ. We sang that. He's the eternal Son of God who took on human skin. That's who He is. He is the eternal King. He's the Lord of Lords. And what has Christ accomplished? You should know this, Christians. What has Christ actually accomplished? Well, He came to earth. He's the righteous one who lived a sinless life. The only one to live a perfect life. And Jesus willingly went to the cross and took on God's wrath for you and me who are in Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ took the punishment for his people, the punishment that sin deserves so that we could be forgiven. Not only that, upon his death, he resurrected from the grave. He is alive. We do not worship a dead Savior. He is alive. And he's coming back. And what has Christ promised? Paul was dependent upon his promises. Those who turn from their sins, who repent or turn from their sins and trust in him as their Lord and Savior, will have their sins forgiven. And since we have our sins forgiven, we'll be right before God and we get to live in eternity with him. This is the promise. So that you may know that you are saved if you believe this. You see, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The religion of divine achievement. And Paul made a conscious transaction, church family. He made a conscious transaction. He transferred his faith, which he had in himself, to Christ. 
there was a conscious transfer. Okay, I trust in what I do to, you know what, now I trust completely in what Christ has done. Have you made that transaction, friend? If you're sitting here today, you may be sitting in the church for decades, but have you actually made that transaction? I was talking to some people this week, and I just, hey, they're part of a local church. I said, tell me how you became a Christian. What I was told kind of concerned me, the, the, the things that I heard. Oh, I started going to church on this date, and I wanted to uh, get right so that I could be a good father, and, and, and all good things. I heard nothing about repentance. I heard nothing about the cross. I heard nothing about Jesus' death and resurrection. I heard nothing about Jesus being my Lord and Savior. I said, huh, interesting. See, that's perhaps an NFL mentality of religion. My church attendance, my service, the people that I hang out with. That's the religion of human achievement. These things are good things, and, 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 and genuine Christians should be showing up in our lives, but that is not the reason why we are in Christ. That is not the reason why we could look into eternity in the eyes of eternity and know that we're going to be in heaven with Christ. See, Christianity is a religion of divine achievement. Do you have an NFL understanding of Christianity? Is your righteousness secure in your own achievements? Being a moral person, raising a good family, being part of a regular attendance to church, all good things, like I said. But none of these things save. Are you secure in Christ, church family? Because if you cannot get past this, all the other points don't even matter. If you're not secure in Christ, your mindset is set on yourself. But if you are secure in Christ, yes, pastor, I love Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. I've entrusted my life. I've repented of my sins, and I look to Christ as my Lord and Savior. Praise God. Now the power is in you to have a Christ-like mindset or Christian mindset. So let's go on to point number two. What does a Christian mindset look like? Well, like we said earlier, the Christian mindset is secure in Christ. And point number two, the Christian mindset is spiritually dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. Let's look at verse 10 here. Paul writes, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You see, power of resurrection and fellowship of his suffering are go hand in hand. Fellowship means partnership. I'm married to Jesus' suffering. See, how do we know Christ more? By suffering like him. Who suffered more than Christ? Nobody. So the more that we suffer, whether we're suffering for Christ, whether perhaps we're going through a difficulty, perhaps we're going through an illness, perhaps we're suffering through relational challenges, that's a gift from God. If you're secure in Christ, Christ is forming Christ in you through the suffering. This is what he's chosen to grow us. And the power of his resurrection is demonstrated like a fountain out of you 
when you're going through difficult times. In other words, listen to what I have to say. When things are smooth sailing, you could kind of operate on your natural, natural power, that is. Even non-believers could handle smooth sailing. But boy, when the world see, sees you struggling with, and, and suffering, that's when the power of God, the power of the resurrection is unleashed in you and people can see that. This is when you tap into his power and stop relying on ourselves and start relying on him. Therefore, you know him more, church family. Fellowship in his, in his suffering. And then it goes on to say, being conformed to his death, being shaped and molded into his death. What does that mean? Remember what our Lord said in Matthew 16, 24? He said he must deny himself. This is the call of the disciple. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This means we die to ourselves. This means we die to our old sinful ways. And we give our lives and follow Christ. We live for him. And the more we closely follow him, guess what? We know him more and we become more like him. This is what Paul is talking about. His whole goal was to become more like Christ. Just like, we, just like his goal is as a pastor. His own personal goal was to grow in his holiness. Back in 2010, my first year coaching in the National Football League, we were visiting Oakland and, and playing the Raiders. And this is game night. And coach would oftentimes like to have special guests to kind of motivate us. You know, we're just getting started. We're struggling. And we need to have a vision of greatness, okay? And guess who we invited? For your older guys, you'll know who I am. We're talking about He had Jerry Rice show up. Jerry Rice is perhaps the greatest football player to ever live. And that's when he came and talked to us about his standard. He goes, you know what? I never thought I was good enough. I always wanted to get better. After practice, when all everyone was in the locker room resting, I was running extra routes, catching extra balls, doing extra wind sprints, running up the hill. And, and mind you, this is not when he was a rookie. This is well deep into his career. When he was already an established Super Bowl champion, already established as holding many records, this is one of the greats to be speaking to us. And guess what? Every single coach, every single player was sitting up. He owned and commanded our attention. Why? Because he's a football giant. He knew how to get to where we wanted to go. Paul, in no different, in this likewise manner, it was a spiritual giant. Arguably, arguably one of the greatest Christians to ever walk the earth. There's not many Christians that could say he did more. He suffered greatly for Christ. If suffering is a credential of, of being close to Christ, well, he suffered. We understand this. He wrote much of the New Testament for our benefit. He even seen heaven. Either he went there or had a revelation of heaven and seen things that he was unexpressible, he says. He was used by God to evangelize the known world, the known Roman Empire at the time. He helped plant many churches, just like Philippian church. What was his response to achieving goals? Let's look, let's look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul was spiritually dissatisfied. You see that? 
This is how great performers, great people think. They're never satisfied. Spiritually, he was discontent. He knew he could grow in his knowledge of Christ. Even at that level, he knew that he could grow in his relationship with Christ. Even at that level, I'd say he was pretty tight with Christ already. Not satisfied. He knew he could grow in his Christ-likeness. Who could fault him? But he knew. And Paul was secure in Christ. He, no longer did he have a day-to-day contract. He had a lifetime contract with Christ now. He was completely secure. And his sense of urgency was not birthed out of fear. This is important that we understand this. Secure in Christ, people have a sense of urgency, not birthed out of fear. I'm not about to get cut. I'm in the kingdom. I'm not in the kingdom. No, you're in the kingdom if you're secure in Christ. But out of his identity in Christ, he knew that he was simply pursuing who he was in Christ. See, no longer did he fight and claw for an identity. He was now living out of his identity in Christ. That is critical that we understand this. He was secure in Christ. Church, I think this goes without saying. It's very clear. We're called to be dissatisfied, spiritually dissatisfied. We're called to strain and strain and strain until the day we go home to glory. That's point number two. Point number three, what does a Christian mindset look like? The Christian mindset is number one, secure in Christ, the most important point. The Christian mindset is spiritually dissatisfied. And thirdly, the Christian mindset is singularly focused, singularly focused, one focus, one track mind. Let's look at verse 13. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. Brethren, I did not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He repeats the same thing. But, there it is again, another but. But one thing that I do. But one thing that I do, he had a singular focus. He was a one-track mind. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this goal? Well, in the, in the original language, this word goal is scopos, which meant finish line or it's an archery term. Like this is the target I'm trying to hit. This is the bullseye I'm trying to hit. What was his bullseye? Christ-likeness. We learned that earlier in the last point. But Paul gives us two valuable insights. This is the stuff that I was trying to mine out of John Wooden's head. This is the stuff coming up where I was like, okay, I got that. Anyone can see you want to win, but okay, how did you get there? These next two insights are powerful. Let's back up to verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind Church family, forgetting what lies behind. You cannot win a race looking backwards. Remember Pastor Ron's sermon? You cannot win the 100 meters or a marathon looking backwards. What lies behind? What is that? Think about your lives. Think about our lives. Setbacks and successes. Those are the things that lies behind. Things that worked out well and things that didn't work out well. And this word forgetting is in the present tense. What, why is that significant? That means it's a continuous practice. So this is kind of like a metaphor, right, church? I mean, we don't have amnesia all of a sudden of our past. We understand that. But what Paul is saying is this. When you're tempted to live there again, whether it's successes or failures or setbacks, 
continually, okay, get back on track, get back in the present. We want to learn from the past, right? Amen, church family? But we don't want to live in the past. We do not want to live in the past, and I'm going to tell you why. How many of us are secure in Christ but have been held back from spiritual setbacks from our past? You have past sins that you're dealing with? And you already repented of it, do you still live there? Have you been sinned against? Do you allow those things to keep you anchored in the past? Perhaps are you part of a failed marriage or failing marriage right now? Failed morality. Are we looking at inappropriate things at night? Do we come to church with those things clouding our minds from the past? You see, church, some of the things that we've done in the past serve as our greatest temptation, don't, do they not? You don't forget these things, although you, the point is you want to put that off constantly. Put it off, put it off, put it off. Perhaps do you have a failed reputation in the church. People know that you're a sinner. Well, guess what? We're all sinners, saved by grace. Did you try a ministry at one time and it just didn't work out the way you thought it would? And it wasn't very... Very encouraging to hear what other people have said about that ministry. See, these things are describe who you are, but they no longer define who you are. We have a past. That's life. But we need to put that, that describes me in the describes me category, but that no longer defines who I am. These things don't longer, no longer have to define us because Christ defines us. Perhaps you're still living in the past, your past successes and glories. Fifteen years ago, I led so-and-so to Christ. Well, praise God. Next, next play. Ten years ago, I led Bible studies, two Bible studies. But I haven't done much lately. Well, that's great. Next play. I used to serve a lot five years ago, but, you know, I just, things keep getting caught up. Well, that's, that's great. Next play. What's, what, what's at hand right now? And what Paul says to say, put off or forget, and look what he says. Reaching forward to what lies there. I like, I think, how the ESV says, straining forward. You feel me? I'm straining forward to the goal. With every spiritual muscle fiber, I'm straining to reach this goal, Paul is saying. Do we live this way? Do we think this way? And when it says, I'm, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead, this is not 20 years from now, 15 years from now, 10 years from now, five years, not even a year from now. I mean, right now, what's at hand right now? What is under your control right now? See, forgetting and straining ahead gives us proper focus. Proper focus because our mind is no longer in the past. We cannot control what happened in the past anymore. But we can control what's next. I want to read you this quote from Coach John Wooden. I think there's some helpful things here. He said, the more you focus on the things you can't control, I'm going to interject, like the past, the more you focus on the things you can't control, comma, the less you'll be focused on the things you can control, which is the present and the near future. 
Church, this is an incredible insight from our spiritual giant, our one of our role model. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. We're not worshiping him, but we imitate him. We, it's important to have spiritual role models. I, I remember as I was, uh, as after we happened to win the Super Bowl a couple years ago or eight years ago now, it's, it's time flies, and about three or four weeks later, we're in our staff room. We, we took our vacations. We had our parade. A million people came out to the city. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I think I visited L.A. and flew back to Seattle with my family. And we had our first staff meeting. And we're just checking in. How are you guys doing? It wasn't a good mood. But this was an interesting thing that came up. This is after the Super Bowl, winning the world championship. Super Bowl means everything for a pro football person. And the coaches were sharing... So-and-so said that um, they feel so empty, players. Coaches are admitting, yeah, why do I feel so empty? Empty. Because if you make things such as the Super Bowl or your reputation or your career or your financial status, even raising families, even developing a home, these are all good things. But if you make these things the ultimate things in your life, they're going to leave you empty. So as Paul says, I am pressing on towards the goal. What is the goal for you, Christian? Is it Christ-likeness? Or is it something that's going to burn up on this side of eternity? You see, in heaven, there's a different economy. The things that matter here won't matter in eternity. There's a completely different currency that takes place. But what you've done for Christ and how you've grown in Christ's likeness lasts forever. See, Paul had a singular focus to pursue Christ's likeness because the more Christ-like we are, the more effective we'll be while we're living on this side of eternity. Critical that we understand this. Let's move on to our fourth and final point, church. What does a Christian mindset look like? Well, the Christian mindset, number one, is secure in Christ. Number two, spiritually dissatisfied. Number three, singularly focused. And fourth and finally, a short point, the Christian mindset shared with one another. Shared with one another. This is important that we understand this. Verse uh, 15, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. This word attitude is phroneo in the original language. It means mind, way of thinking, and how we've termed it, mindset. Those who have a mature Christian mindset, let's all think this way, Paul is saying. In the locker room, I'll give you a little insight into what it's like in the locker room. You know you've got a successful team when the culture of the team is thinking the same thing. And this is what we're looking to do is develop a discipleship-minded culture here at Evergreen. And because it didn't matter if the coach, head coach was saying brilliant things and right things and maybe even a couple key players were saying it, if the locker room wasn't speaking the same thing, believing the same thing, we're going in different directions. But if the locker room was speaking the same thing, players giving, giving interviews or repeating what the coach said in their own words. Oh my goodness, we're, we're kind of, we're starting to cook now. We're thinking the same way. We have the same mindset. Church family, our Lord has designed disciples so to take pr- place with one another. This is not a privatized thing where I'm a Christian on my own. 
clearly, since we've been journeying through this Built for Discipleship series, we know that the primary context of discipleship is in the local church, such as our church here. See, Christianity is a communal experience. It's about family, God's family. And this is what we're called to do, is to share this mindset, this Christian mindset with one another. And when we do that, we'll look to edify one another. We'll look to invest our gifts, invest our talents, invest our finances, invest our love and time and care with one another. You see, when we have the same goals, we'll be striving for the same things. To pursue Christ-likeness. To build up one another. In conclusion here, church, we're about to finish. But I thought it was important to give a little bit of encouragement to our church. I mean, this is a challenging message. But this is not like a varsity type of way of thinking. There's no JV mentality and varsity mentality in Christianity. This is a normal way of thinking. That's what Paul is saying. And um, just want to give some encouragement. Perhaps I get it. I, I, I feel this way too at times. Perhaps you're, you're saying, yes, Pastor, I agree. I, want, I need to strain more. I need to put myself out there more. But I have this fear of failure. I don't want to look foolish to other people in the church. You know, I don't want to have failure. Well, I thought this quote would be helpful. It's a famous quote by one of our presidents, Theodore Roosevelt. It's titled, The Man in the Arena. The Man in the Arena. This is what he writes, or former president writes. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. For us, the Christian arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, meaning... If you're going to go for a worthy cause, there's going to be some moments of stumbling. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause? What could be more worthy than pursuing Christ's likeness, church? Nothing. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? I know what it feels like to win for Christ. And who at the worst... If he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. You see, this is the person that's willing to go for it. Not to play it safe. To go for it. And because, you know why? Let me give you, this This is not part of the quote, but this is my thoughts. The man in the arena, the woman in the arena, lives for the audience of one. Not for the thousands, not for the handful, not for your family. Christ Jesus, what do you think? Because you will judge me someday. I am going to see Jesus Christ someday. What do you think? I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will be judging the living and the dead, the Bible says. 
The man or the woman in the arena cares and lives for the audience of one. Now, the quote's not over yet. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Let me read that again. We don't want to be like this. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. They never tried. They played it safe. Church family, we only got one life to live. And while we're on this side of eternity, there's work to be done. First in our hearts and what we could do for Christ. Let's get in the Christian race. Let's get in there. Let's get in the, in the blocks. Let's get ready to run. If you're not running, get in the race. Because a genuine Christian is not a spectator. A genuine Christian is participating with Christ. This is the fruit that the Lord produces in us. Let's be faithful to Christ. I find that very encouraging, church, because I know I don't live a perfect life. I know I constantly stumble. Last night I had to repent to my boys. It's constant. It's constant. But guess what? It all starts with a mindset. Are you secure in Christ? Bottom line. If you are, you can admit your mistakes, repent, move on to the next play. This is the Christian mindset. Not for the varsity or the champion Christian or a spiritual giant Christian. Paul says in verse 15, let us therefore as many are as perfect have this attitude. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the security, the grace that you've shown us, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the Father, willingly going to the cross, taking our, on our punishment and our sins. Thank you, Lord, that we're secure in you first and foremost. Lord, help us to put on the mind of Christ. Help us to have this Christian mindset. Help us to be spiritually dissatisfied where we're at. No matter how mature we are, help us to strive for more Christ-likeness, to know you more. Father, I pray we would have this singular focus in our lives where we want to grow in Christ-likeness, where nothing else matters. Father, I pray our church, the local church here at Evergreen, would share this mindset so we look each other in the eye and we know what we all are striving after and we could contribute to one another. Lord, I pray that we would live for an audience of one that's you, Jesus, where we want to displease you. We're just possessed and obsessed with wanting to please you, Lord. Not for our righteousness, but what you've done for us, because you're our Lord, our Savior, you're our passion, you're the greatest love of our lives. You are the greatest treasure of our lives. So, Lord, help us to faithfully press on towards the goal. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.